Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Good day to all, to those who are listening to this broadcast. Uh, This is a studio recording in continuance on our series on grace. And in this particular part of the series, we are dealing with the issue of grace manifested as the favor of God, where God deals preferentially with his sons, giving them an unfair advantage and showing extreme kindness uh, to them. Uh, within their lives, particularly within the execution of His will in and through them. So when we receive the grace of God, this grace will manifest as favor, where God will bestow upon us an unfair advantage uh, in life in several respects. And up to now, we've dealt with the issue of the favor of the Lord, favor from God, exhibited through men to us over several weeks and we've isolated a few factors that activate this favor. Of recent, one in particular that we've been dealing with is hospitality expressed to other people, especially those within the household of God. This hospitality is an expression of love, it's an expression of The whole ideal of being one, the oneness in the spirit, one heart, one mind. This was the culture of the early church. They were of one heart and they were of one mind. And as a result, they had all things in common. There was conscious awareness of the needs of the other within the body of Christ. And there was a particular factor whereby they ate their meals together with sincerity of heart, the scripture says, and also with gladness of heart. So there was the conscious eating of meals together, um, the hosting of one to the other. This was not so much just for socialization. This was the context for fellowship, which is not really socialization. It's possible to socialize and not have fellowship, but socialization does create an opportunity for fellowship. So when we eat and meet together, we have the environment in and through which um, fellowship, which is the deep exchange of the grace of Christ from one to the other, where that can be possible. And so I want to just briefly just complete this whole encouragement to you to be hospitable uh, with a few thoughts from the scriptures. Remember, great grace was upon the early church because of this. And the Bible says, and the favor of the Lord rested upon the early church to a significant degree, simply because of this culture of oneness. Um, Acts 2 47, just to remind you, says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their numbers daily such as were being saved. The previous verse indicates that they were with one mind in the temple, breaking bread 
from house to house. That alludes to the sharing of the word of the Lord, not just celebrating communion. It includes that, but also the sharing of the word of the Lord from house to house. And then it says they were taking their meals together with two um, criteria or two characteristics rather. They were taking their meals together with gladness, that there was a gladness, a joy, and also with sincerity of heart. Praising God and then having favor with all the people. So favor rested upon a particular context in which people were one heart, one mind, taking meals together. In that context, sharing fellowship, which is the word of the Lord, uh, sharing the grace of Christ, partaking of the grace of Christ in each other from house to house, eating meals with gladness and sincerity of heart. Then the favor of the Lord rested upon that culture. Now, I want to just encourage us with a few principles. Firstly, we've, we've spoken to several principles already governing hospitality within the house of the Lord. Um, one factor that must prompt hospitality is divine love. Love must activate hospitality. Hospitality without being motivated by love is absolutely meaningless. And we must be uh, devoted to one another in brotherly love. And we must give preference and honor to each other in love. That activates a giving disposition within us. Let me, let me read to you a particular text um, from which these principles can be extracted. It's Romans chapter 12 verse 9 to 13 it says the following let love be without hypocrisy abhor what is evil cling to what is good be devoted to one another in brotherly love give preference to one another in honor note be devoted to one another in brotherly love there's a devotion that god expects of us to each other motivated by sincere love when that is in place the second part of verse 10 kicks in. We must give preference to one another in honor. Where people love each other, they will prefer each other. And they will honor the other and esteem the other as higher than themselves. In a culture of, of communality, of oneness, of one heart, one mind, of eating together, of hospitality, there must be sincere love and the conscious giving preference of the other in honor. When you invite someone to your home and you serve them a meal and you honor them in a hospitable culture, what you're saying to them is, I honor you, I esteem you, I value you, I esteem the grace of Christ in you, and I want to host that in my home. Then verse 11 of the same text in Romans 12 says, Not lagging in diligent uh, not lagging behind in diligence, but being fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, and preserving in tribulation, being devoted to prayer. Then the next verse, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Hospitality becomes a context a lot of the times in which you are or you will become aware of the needs of those you host. Or they may become aware of your needs. 
and it provides a context in which we can position ourselves to bring relief to some of the needs um, of each other. Now notice the text says we must practice hospitality. The King James says be given to hospitality. The word given to or practice in the NASB is the Greek word diako, which literally means to pursue. So we must pursue hospitality. It means to follow, to press hard after, to pursue with earnestness, with diligence in order to obtain. So one cannot adopt a light or casual position towards hospitality. It must be pursued earnestly. We must follow hard after it and press after it. Um, a reminder of First Peter 4 verse 8 and 9, which says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable one to another without complaint. It's possible to host someone with complaint, but this text says, be hospitable without complaint. Before, if you complain in doing it, you lose the attendant blessing um, and the attendant divine presence of God that is promised with hospitality. But notice the text. Again, love must prompt it. Keep fervent love in your, in your heart for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. So when we host people, it's not an occasion to discuss the weaknesses, the deficiencies, the sins, the errors of some other person. Instead, we consciously cover sin. Uh, conversations in when we host people around meals must not degenerate into scandal sessions or speaking negatively about people. If you do not have anything to say positively, constructively about someone, you'd rather not speak at all. Uh, I've seen over the years that a lot of the time, context of hospitality uh, degenerate into uh, occasions in which we highlight sins of others and it becomes a talk, the, the weakness of our brother or sister becomes a talking point. Uh, that must be consciously guarded against. This text says it clearly. We must have fervent love, cover them, where love covers a multitude of sins, be hospitable without complaint. So I trust that uh, we would all heed the import of the scripture. Again, uh, another issue that we just we need to perhaps focus on is uh, the case study of where Abram hosted angelic visitors in Genesis 18. I just want to quickly read through this. I don't want to spend too much time on it because it was covered to some degree in the previous session. But uh, the scripture says in Genesis 18, the Lord appeared to him, that's Abraham, in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door of the heat of the day. This is the King James Version. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door. He bowed himself toward the ground. Now, the fact that he's bowing toward the ground means he was conscious that these were not ordinary men, but that they were divine representations. These were angels, literally in human form. Now, and the Bible says he bowed down toward them, 
to the ground. So obviously he has a position of great esteem and honor for them. He's about to host them, but notice uh, his hosting of them is, is uh, prefaced by a deep honor for them. So those we host indicates our love and our honor for them. And, and the scripture says some of us have hosted even angels unaware. That's a, a text from Hebrews 13 verse 2, which says, Let the love of the brothers continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For some of us have entertained angels without even knowing it. So the angelic is that divine component. Abraham realized that this is true in the men that came to his home. And he perceived the divine component in the men that stood before them. And he, he honored them. Uh, you and I must be on, we must be hospitable in honor to people we know and even those we don't know. Uh, for the Bible says we entertain angels even unaware. Verse 3 says, he said to them, my Lord, notice he's addressing uh, three individuals, but he's using the singular, my Lord, not my Lord's. So he's very conscious of their divine representation. That is the threefold nature of the Godhead, Father, Son and Spirit represent in one God or in one uh, being called God, yet three distinct persons. Um, so he's thoroughly aware of that this is God coming to his home. And many times the Lord will come to our homes in those we host. Uh, the Bible says that if we receive a little one in Jesus' name, we receive him himself. And if we minister even a glass of water to the least of these, we have ministered to him himself. So he says to them, my Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass away. I pray thee from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray, be fetched to wash your feet. Rest yourself under the tree. I will fetch a morsel of bread, comfort your hearts. After that, you shall pass on. For there, for are you come to your servant. And they said, so do as you've said. So he brings out water to refresh their feet, to comfort them. And he gets, um, he, he, he makes them rest. He says, take rest for yourself. Culture of hospitality must not be tense. Uh, it must be restful. It must be reposeful. It must be relaxed so that grace can effortlessly flow. Grace is most often hindered when the uh, environment within a house is tense um, and restrained. So he he makes his visitors feel at home. Uh, he fetches out bread and water and he administers that to them. And Abram hastened into the tent of Sarah and he said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal kneaded and make cakes upon the, the hearth or the oven. So the wife is instructed to prepare the bread. Abram ran to the herd and he fetched a calf, a tender and good, a choice calf, and he gave it to the young men and he hasted to dress it. So he offered bread, but in his preparation, he, prepare, he prepares bread and his most choicest tender calf. 
Uh, in other words, he goes beyond what he declared to them. I want to encourage you, give your best in hospitality. Um, according to the means that you have. Even if it's going to be a, a, an, a, a simple dish, but make it the best. Put your heart and soul into it. Verse 8, he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and he set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. And he said to them, Where? And they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. Uh, note, Sarah prepared the bread, but they wanted to locate her. Both husband and wife, if you are married, must be thoroughly at one in how you host people. Uh, there cannot be division in this. They must agree to have the people over and to host them in sincere and honest love one toward the other. Verse 10 says, And he said, I will certainly return to thee according to the time of life, and O Sarah your wife will have a son. They're literally saying to her, By this time next year, Sarah is going to have a son, the promised son Isaac. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. She was not present with them in the immediate room where this announcement was given to Abraham. She heard it in the next tent, behind the tent door. And the Bible says that, verse 11, um, Sarah and Abraham were stricken in years, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the man of woman. In other words, she was past the age of childbearing. Therefore she laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have the pleasure, my Lord, of being, of being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I be of surety? Shall I of surety bear a child which am old? Um, this is important. Sarah was not present when the announcement was given to Abraham. She was in the adjacent tent. It's important for both husbands and wives to be on the same page when you host people for. There exists the possibility that certain prophetic aspects of your corporate destiny will be solidified, consolidated, announced, and you need to be at one in how you receive it. It's almost like Sarah's hearing this in a secondary fashion, for she's not in the immediacy of the word pronounced. And I also want to say, hosting grants to us the possibility of God giving assurance to previously prophesied uh, realities. Previous prophecies are consolidated, re-echoed, affirmed, and even time frames given to it, as in the case here of Abraham. She was already, they were already promised that they would be a father. Abraham would be a father of nations. And now this promise is consolidated. What I'm interested in is the context. The context was, uh, this, this confirmation of God was echoed within a culture of hospitality, within a culture of, of showing honor to the representation of God in the other. And so, uh, in verse 14, they say, Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah will have a son. 
Uh, thereafter, from verse 16 to the rest of the chapter, down to verse 33, the Lord then shares with Abraham his intent to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 16 says the men rose up uh, from, this is the rising up from being hosted by Abraham. And they looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to bring them on their way. Notice Abraham was not um, eager to get the men off his hands and out of his house. As they got up to leave, the Bible says he walked with them a while to bring them on their way. Um, it's important that when we host people, that we do so completely and that we really relish the time they spend with us. Uh, it is interesting here that Abraham walks with them on their way. Had he simply fobbed them off and said an abrupt bye-bye at his door, seeing them off, he would not be uh, privy to some detailed information that God was intent on sharing with him concerning his intent to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And in verse 17, the Lord says, the Lord said, now this is as Abraham is walking with the three angels, or the three representations of the divine. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know he will command his children and his household after him, and they will keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord might bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken. And then the Lord proceeds to reveal his plans concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, God does not hide things from Abraham because of the destiny attached to Abraham. God says, how can I hide what I'm about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah? Gomorrah, how can I keep that from Abraham since Abraham is going to become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him? So the disclosure of God of key information concerning key events in Abraham's day is released to him by virtue of the prophecy to Abraham that he would become a great and mighty nation and that in that he will command his household after him. He will, he will raise his kids and his generations after him in the way of the Lord. God says, if that's the case, how can I keep back from Abraham what am I about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah? Again, I want to reiterate, God does not hide things from Abraham because of the magnitude of the destiny attendant with Abraham. He's going to become a, a father of many nations and he'll become a great nation and all the nations of the earth are blessed through him. And God adds, because I know him, that he will keep commanding his children and his household after him to be obedient to the Lord and to keep the way of the Lord. And all of this, again, I want to emphasize, is echoed, is endorsed within a context of Abraham seeing his guests off as he walks with them along the way. I want to encourage you, we have no idea what awaits us when we engage the spirit of hospitality completely with our whole hearts. For, note this, when we are hospitable to others, 
we indicate a desire to perpetuate or impart to others things that God has revealed to us. Hospitality becomes a context for powerful discussions and fellowship concerning the ways of God, concerning the will of God, concerning the works of God. Abraham will, in, will instruct his household after him. Today we can instruct others after us within a culture of hospitality. And in this context, it's nothing uh, I believe when God sees this. God is at liberty to reveal other aspects in, of, his, of his plans that are attendant with the earth today. So I want to encourage you to um, note the, f the factors that we've unearthed concerning Abraham's example. As we close, I just want to encourage you uh, to enlarge your sphere of associations and go outside of your normal circle of those you eat with. For some of us, it's almost predictable as to whom we will invite because we have certain preferences. But like I've, 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 in, I've encouraged you in the past, go beyond. Um, invite someone. Start with your own household of faith. The Bible says in Galatians 6 verse 8 to 10, For the one who sows, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap life eternal. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially those who are of the household of faith. The household of faith reference there is not your household of faith. It's a reference to the body of Christ corporately, uh, universally. So, we must do good to all men, but especially those in the body of Christ. But why not start with your local church? Um, it is interesting that the Greek word for hospitality is, one of them is philo-xenos. And xenos has got to do with stranger. And philo has got to do with love or showing love too. So philo-xenos uh, literally means to show kindness or love to strangers. Xenophobia is an English word literally relating to the fear and thus intolerance and hatred for strangers, for foreigners or aliens. Now, the answer to xenophobia is philoxenos, the Greek word for hospitality. Instead of hating the stranger, we are expected to love the stranger. But within our local churches, there might be strangers within the house. So I want to encourage you, remove the stranger element in your brother by inviting him or her. Get to know them more intimately. We must do good. Uh, we must sow. Notice um, Galatians 6 is often used for sowing finances. But in context, um, it can also be used to showing kindness to showing goodness, to sowing goodness, sowing kindness to all people, but especially those which are of the house of faith. So I want to encourage you to go beyond the people you would normally invite and hang out with over meals. Sow 
kindness, sow hospitality. If you sow hospitality, you will reap hospitality. If you sow friendship, you will reap friendship. The danger and peril of being isolated, individualistic, divorced from the whole ideal of community and being inhospitable is that in the hour in which you find yourself in great need of help from people, you will have no one to help you. If you keep your sphere of showing hospitality to people small and you don't go beyond it, you're literally limiting the sphere from which you might draw help from one day. If you sow widely, you will reap widely. If you sow um, to a limited amount of people, well, that is what you will reap. Now, so I want to encourage you, don't divorce yourself from community. Don't divorce yourself from the corporality of the body of Christ. A, a particular text that teaches us the dangers of being isolated from most people is Judges 18 from verse 27 onwards. Let me just read a few verses and then make a few comments. Judges 18.27 says the following, Then they took what Micah had made and the priest who had belonged to him and came to a people quiet and secure and struck them with the edge of the sword and they burned the city with fire. Uh, this city referred to here is the people of Laish. So there was an attack on them. But notice the Bible says they were quiet and secure. They were quiet and secure people. They were peaceful and at rest, in other words. But they were attacked with the edge of the sword, and that city of Laish was burned with fire. The next verse says, why was this so? Why were they so, although quiet and secure, why were they vulnerable to attack? This next verse says, there was no one to help them or no one to deliver them because they were too far from Sidon. And they had no dealings with anyone. And it was in the valley which was near Beth Rehob. Now, um, the singular factor that made these people vulnerable was the isolation. They had no dealings with anyone. They were killed entirely as a people because of their inability and unwillingness to relate to and to connect with, with others. They were far from Sidon. And uh, although they lived in the culture of the Sidonians, um, they were not in, a, in, in practical or active relationship with them. So in the time of attack, they were too far to receive help from the Sidonians uh, because they distanced themselves. Even though we may all have the same culture of the kingdom, we must still relate in close proximity, practically and physically, to other members of the body of Christ. This must be so lest uh, in a day when we are under personal attack of some kind, we lose or we suffer loss uh, because we are too far removed relationally from the source of help, which is the body of Christ or Zion. Now, let me just say, Psalm 20 verse 2 says, May the Lord send you help from the sanctuary. May he support you from Zion kind of help God's going to give his people is from his house. Zion here is a representation of the house of the Lord, the family of God, the body of Christ. And this verse says, help comes from Zion. 
So the more you reach out to more widely to the members of the body of Christ in the church, the wider is your scope or source of help in the day in which you require it. But the people of Laish were vulnerable, although a quiet, secure and restful people, the singular disadvantageous thing about them or against them was they were too far from Sidon and had no dealings with anyone. The, the people or the realm that you have no dealings with cannot help you in the time in which you are in trouble. Uh, interestingly, the word Laish, the city that was attacked, means old lion. Old lion. Old indicates experience and lion indicates strength. It's a very subtle thing that those who think that they have vast experience and some measure of strength to have a false sense of security that they don't need anyone else. But we really need as experienced, as mature as we think we are, as strong as we think we are. I want to encourage us, let's show regular, consistent hospitality to all men. For in the day in which we ourselves need help, who knows that God is setting up structures so that one day when we need the help, we will be in a good position to receive help because we have not positioned ourselves too far, too far. So I want to encourage you to be hospitable. Again, hospitality must be initiated by intense and divine love. Uh, as I've said in a prior broadcast, allow the Lord to shed abroad His love in your heart by the Holy Ghost. If you're finding it difficult to show hospitality to men, let the love of God prompt you. Let the love of the Spirit. Uh, Romans 5 says that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit which is given to us. The love of God in you will prompt you, will activate you. Tap into that love. Don't rely on your own capacity. 2 Corinthians 8.16 says God put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. So the care that Paul had for the Corinthians, God put that same care into the heart of Titus. It is possible for God to put care and love in your heart. Uh, a love that will drive you. In closing, just two texts I want to comment on. In, in Acts 16, the Bible clearly says God opened Lydia's heart to receive the things which was said by Paul. Let me quote the text. Acts 16, 14 to 16 says the following. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics and a worshipper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things by Paul. Notice she was listening to Paul. Um, she was a dealer in fine purple. She was a businesswoman in the city of Thyatira and she heard Paul speak. She was a worshipper of God. She was listening and the Bible says the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things that Paul was saying. If the Lord does not open your heart, your heart will not open at all. So hence, I pray as we close this broadcast, allow the Holy Ghost to really open your heart for the love of God to be poured in, that you uh, would come to a place of hosting uh, people in love, in sincere honor and esteem, creating a context for spiritual transactions to take place within your heart and within your life. 
The next verse says, And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Literally, Lydia opened a home to Paul and to his associates. But notice her heart was open to the Lord first, or to the word of Paul to receive the things said by him. Then she opened her home. The principle is, if your heart is not opened, neither will your home be. So if we are to open our homes to be hospitable to people, it requires an open heart. So I pray the Holy Ghost would open your hearts, love of God would well up inside of you, and that like Lydia, you would host not just men of God, but all people. In fact, Lydia's home became the base of Paul for all of his ministry endeavors in his early days in the city of Philippi. So literally, Lydia's home became a base for the start of that church in, in, in the city of Philippi. Who knows what God can initiate and start from the context of your home concerning his purposes as we engage in sincere hospitality. Romans 16 verse 23, Paul says concerning Gaius, he says, Gaius, host to me, and to the whole church greets you. Gaius was a host to Paul, engaged in hospitality toward Paul. And, he says, to the whole church. The whole church at Rome, um, this gentleman, Gaius, he positioned himself in hospitality towards Paul and to the whole church. He's a tremendous example of being hospitable. I pray that this anointing be yours as you listen. Receive it in the name of the Lord. Um, may the love of God overwhelm you today as you are hospitable. As we close, I want to remind you of a reality. In an earlier broadcast, I said that Genesis 2 verse 1 indicates that when God made the earth and the heavens and he completed them and their hosts. So he, he completed heaven and earth and their hosts. The word hosts is the Hebrew word sabah, which literally implies resources or things in both realms, heaven and earth, that are arranged with military style precision with the whole idea of servitude, of serving the purposes of God in men. So God makes heaven and earth, put man, puts, his, puts, puts man as his son in the earth to administrate all of creation on his behalf and to represent him in the creative realm. God further says, in both realms, heaven and earth, I've put hosts, not just angelic hosts, any resource that the man would need to execute the will of God in the earth and to represent him sufficiently well enough. God says, I've put stuff, I've put resource, I've put provisions in heaven and earth, and God calls them hosts. So uh, literally the heavens and the earth are hosting men, and they will give to us with the idea of servitude, they will serve us, dispense to us what we need to accomplish the purposes of God. Now, if we desire to reap that, we must sow that. In the area that you desire to reap, you must sow into. So when I host people in my home, what am I doing? I'm acting like God in creation. 
I am hosting people. I'm creating environments in my home. Heaven and earth was God's created context or environment to host men, to host humankind, to bless him so that he can execute his will and represent him. Similarly, when I host people, I prepare, let's say, a meal. I prepare a room. I prepare the table, prepare my heart, prepare my mind. I am deliberately positioning myself to bless another with the idea of servitude. I'm serving the other. I'm resourcing the other um, with specific things. Now, when I sow that, I activate. I release God's capacity to release a resource already encoded in heaven and earth, the hosts of heaven and earth, for God to release that in terms of his provision towards me. I want to remind you what God said to us prophetically within this segment and hospitality in a previous session. He said to us, if you host my people, I will host you. And so I pray that you get this revelation. You get this revelation. I pray a release. I really pray a release of every resource locked up in heaven and earth designed to serve you and the purpose of God in you designed to bless you that that would be released now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I pray great grace and peace be your portion as you resolve in your heart and mind the hospitable. May great grace and peace be yours in ever-increasing measure. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace that is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance amongst all the saints which are sanctified. Bless you.